The church in God's word is often referred to, as I just referred to it, as a body of believers. Um, in fact, there are a lot of different um, uh, correlations or uh, words or phrases that are used in the Bible to describe or to make uh, a connection for us uh, with the church. And um, some of those words are, are maybe common to you. You might have heard of uh, the word assembly or um, flock, uh, perhaps. The church is also compared to the bride, the bride of Christ. It's compared to a city different times. But it's interesting because um, the church in, in the Bible is referred to as a body, and it's referred to as family. And so often um, you might hear us talk about the body of Christ or the family of God, and um, for some of you that may sound a little foreign, it may sound a little like weird or strange. Well, today we kick off a, a brand new series that we're calling Body Life, and we're going to spend the next four weeks discussing what it means that the church is called the body of Christ and, and why it's called the body of Christ and, and what that means for you and for me. I, I want to take the, the weird feeling that you may have when you hear that term or that phrase, the body of Christ, and, and I, I want to take that and, and kind of normalize it because it is such an important aspect of who we are as people. I want you to notice this, that um, in all of Scripture, the body of Christ is, is referred to as a bride and a flock and an assembly and the body, and it's referred to as the family of God. And we're going to be talking about that aspect today. But I want you to notice this. Nowhere in Scripture is the church, his people, ever referred to as a corporation or a company. It's not referred to as a, a fellowship or an institute or anything even remotely close to academia. The church is not considered some sort of institution or agency or campaign. It is referred to most often as the body of Christ, and that is for good reason, because God's intent for the church universally, but also here locally, is that we are like a body and that we are an organism that is a living and breathing and alive organism. Working together to see the message of Jesus Christ spread in our community and beyond. And it's so important, in fact, that Paul spends really a, a whole, like, a whole um, chapter on this in Romans chapter 12. And he, being the main author of the New Testament, comes back to that so often throughout the New Testament. It is a theme that is repeated that we are a body. And because we're a body... Um, we should represent that body as a family of God, working together for the good of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be using Romans chapter 12, uh, not going verse by verse, but we're going to be using it as a springboard um, to discuss what it means to be the body of Christ. And my prayer throughout the series is that um, wherever you are in terms of your faith walk, that this would prompt you uh, maybe to, to further your relationship with Jesus. For some of you, that means start it. For others of you, that means to further it. For some of you who have been a Christ follower for a long time, it may mean that you're someone um, who has kind of lost that passion for the family of God and the body of Christ. And my prayer is, is that you would be reignited 
uh, for that and around the gospel message. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background to Romans chapter 12 as we're going to be looking at today just a few of the verses, and then we're going to, um, in detail, and then we're going to look at a, a few of them just like real briefly, um, just to kind of underscore the idea that church unity is so important to God. It's incredibly important to God. In fact, it's vital to God, church unity and being a family of Christ. Is so important to God. And so we're going to be taking a look at just a few verses, but we're going to use that as a springboard over the course of the next few weeks. Now, Paul writes this whole book, and he writes it to the Christians who are located in Rome. And Rome, of course, was the center city of the world in that day and age. In the first century, it was the most important city. It was the most influential city. It's where everything came from, where, it be, where education, uh, if it's government, you know, civic things, um, uh, in terms of military, everything came out of Rome, even culture, fashion, the way the world looked, everything centered on Rome. And so it was really important when Paul visited Rome as the first missionary, the first one to spread the gospel message uh, to the world or to the known world, it was really important that this particular city got it that this particular group of Christians here in Rome understood it. And they were beginning to come under persecution and, in fact, later came under severe persecution. And so Paul is writing them a letter to help them to stand strong. And if you read Romans chapter 5 through 8, if you read no other part of the Bible at all, you're going to get the gist of what God's intent is in the God-man narrative. Romans 5 through 8 is the most important three or four, really kind of on both sides of that, chapters in all of Scripture. It's kind of like the tip of the sword in terms of what we believe as people because in that, Paul says that we're not saved by our own works. We're not saved um, through what we do or who we are. We are saved through the power of Jesus Christ and Him alone, and it is the work of Jesus on the cross that gives us eternal life. And it's salvation through faith, not by ourselves. And so that's what he says in, in, in Romans 5 through 8. I just gave you like a quick 30-second summary. So if anybody ever asks you, hey, what's Romans 5 through 8 about? You can tell them, okay? It's real easy. And then he goes on and spends the rest of Romans describing how then we should live. What is our response? And we come to Romans 12, and famously, he starts off by, by essentially saying that we are living sacrifices for God. And we're going to come back to that theme in verse 1 next week. But today, I want us to take a look at Romans 12, 3 through 6. And I want us to understand that being a unit, that being unified, that being a body, being a family of God is of the highest, highest, highest importance to God himself. As a group of people... He's more concerned about this than anything else. In fact, he's more concerned about this than anything else because God understands that our level of unity or our level of disunity is going to either spread the gospel message or it's going to keep it from spreading. And so here's what he says. Take a look at this in Romans 12, 3, and we're going to read through verse 6 in just the first part of verse 6. He says this. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with, I want you to say those next two words with me, sober judgment. We're going to come back to that theme in a moment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, 
For as in one body, we may have many parts, or we have many parts or members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are, say those next two words with me, one body in Christ. One body in Christ. And individually members of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, in these three verses, are just, they're just packed full of, of doctrine and theology, what we believe about God and what we believe about man and what we believe about the church. And I want to highlight three things that I think are most important and vital to us as we talk about body life and what it means to be a family of God and to be the body of Christ. I want to talk about three things this morning that I think that Paul is really trying to highlight and really try trying to focus on. And in your notes this morning, if you want to, you can take notes. Uh, you're not going to see any notes on the screen. So um, you know, if you're a note taker, go right ahead and dive in. Um, Paul is speaking here about us being unified. And I think the very first thing that he, he tells us is that um, if we are going to be unified, if we are going to be one body made up of many parts going in the same direction, acting in the same frame of mind with the same mission in mind, the first thing that he says that we should do is resist arrogance. Uh, the first thing that he says that we should do is resist arrogance. And sometimes the opposite of the problem or the challenge in scripture that Paul brings up is not necessarily um, the solution to that problem. And I think that's the case here because he doesn't say to um, resist arrogance and, and like pursue humility, although that's part of the solution. He says that we should resist arrogance and have sober judgment. We'll talk about that in a moment. Let's talk first and foremost where I get this idea of resisting arrogance. Well, we see in verse 3 that he says that we should not think of ourselves or, or people in the body of Christ should not think of himself uh, more highly than he ought to think. And Paul is laying the foundation for this concept. Arrogance in the body of Christ is incredibly destructive isn't it? Arrogance in the body of Christ is incredibly destructive. And in fact, arrogance in the body of Christ can be downright dangerous. When we puff ourselves up with pride and when we think that we're right about everything, it can be detrimental to the cause of Christ. And unfortunately, um, we see this played out, not just in our churches, but we've seen it over the past few months and years, once again, unfortunately, played out in our communities. Because arrogance is really the underlying root cause of what we're seeing in the world, and especially in our nation, in terms of the divisions. And I'm going to talk about how the church can, can be a part of the solution to that in, in upcoming weeks. But Paul, I believe, here begins by saying that arrogance in the body of Christ is incredibly incredibly harmful. And while humility is a part of the solution to the arrogance problem in the body of Christ, what does he say here? He says that the real solution in verse 3 is that you and I should not think more highly of ourselves, but we should think with, say those two words with me again, sober judgment. Now, I know the first thing that you think of when you think of the word sober is the opposite of drunk, right? That's what we think of. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to think of. 
He wants us to have in mind, and he wanted the readers there in Rome to have in mind, out of control judgment. Because judgment, thought, opinion is literally what it means here. Believe it or not, I'm not just saying that because I don't want to hear your opinion, okay? Literally what he's saying is he's saying that out of control opinion or thought can be one of the most damaging things to unity in the body of Christ. And he says that we need to act with sober judgment. Essentially what he's saying is is that you and I, if we're really truly concerned about being a family of God, that we need to bring our opinion or our conclusion or our rush to judgment under control. And the other time that Paul uses this same analogy about being drunk is in Ephesians when he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, um, what we think about things, uh, who we are as people, our own thoughts, um, God is not saying that those don't need to be heard. He's not saying that we need to suppress what we believe. What he's saying is, is that we need to bring our opinions under control. And that often means that before we express our opinions about what we think about someone else in the body of Christ or what is going on in the body of Christ or how this body of Christ operates, that we need to subject that or bring it under control of the spirit of the living God. And so you and I have a responsibility to use caution when we form opinions about others within the body of Christ. Because if we, if we have this viewpoint of a rush to judgment about others, about what's going on in the body of Christ, we can be incredibly damaging, can't we? We have a responsibility to do our part to act as a family and promote unity. And so we have to control what we think. We have to control our opinions. You know what I've found um, in my, gosh, I guess almost 15 years now of, of being a pastor and about 20 years of being in the ministry, whether it's church or parachurch organizations, is, is that um, often opinions um, are, are something that we mask and, and, and we kind of mask it by, by saying that um, they have said this. <laughs> um, I, I remember using this with my mom and dad when I was a teenager. I would use the phrase, mom, dad, like, I want permission to do this, or I want to go out and I want to buy this, or I want, like, the right to do this, because they said it's a good idea. Parents, have you ever heard that one before? Like, and what is the next question? Yes, thank you very much. I thought I was the only one. Who is they, right? Who are they? And I remember my dad saying, you know, if you can't describe who they are, I'll listen to you. But I'm not going to take you very seriously because I feel like you're just hiding behind they. I remember even making they sound like it was the school administration a few times in my life, okay? So let's just be honest here. I use they a lot. And in the church, I hear this often. Somebody will set up a meeting with me and they'll come in and they'll say, they are saying this. You know what question I ask? Who is they? Who is they? Because we often hide behind they to express what we think is right. And most often when we do that, it's not sober judgment. I've also heard this uh, phrase, um, people are saying, and you know what question I asked behind that one? Who are the people? And why are they not here right now? <laughs> Opinions in the church aren't bad. God doesn't want our opinions or our thought to be suppressed by any stretch of the imagination. But we don't bring 
those opinions and those thoughts under sober judgment, we're going to often gen up or make more important what we think is right rather than what he thinks is right. Are you with me, church? And often what we do is we have our opinions, and our opinions end up destroying those around us. It ends up breaking those, those down those around us. And so what, we, what should we do to promote unity at Hilton Head Island Community Church? First and foremost, we need to bring our opinions under control. And secondly, we need to stomp out gossip. We need to stomp out gossip. This isn't necessarily a message on gossip, but I've seen in the church the number one most destructive thing that just tears down church unity is gossip. Gossip about each other, gossip about someone else, gossip about what they've done, gossip about what the church is doing. And so we need to be people who when we're engaged from someone else with gossip, we stomp it out, just like we would stomp out a wildfire. And that means that we don't engage in it. That means we don't participate in it. In fact, that means we call it out when we hear it. That means we put it to an end. And if you're a part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, one of the greatest things that you can do for the unity of this body of Christ is when you hear gossip, stomp it out before it becomes a raging wildfire. We need to be people who act with sober judgment and who control, bring our opinions under the control of the Holy Spirit and stomp out gossip. But I think the other thing that Paul's telling us here is that we need to be a people who celebrate our differences. You know what we could do in the world if we really, truly understood this? You know what we could do in the world if we could understand that we are all different, but we are all one? We are all different, but we are all one? We could change the world because that's from the power of God. And he says it here in verse 4, or in verse uh, 3, he says that we should um, each, according to the measure of faith, we should act and we should minister uh, from that standpoint according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So just in, just in verse 3 of chapter 12, um, we see this underlying theme of the body of Christ working together in conjunction, each of us with our own gifts. We're going to talk about that in week, uh, week 4. Um, and so we, as a body, we may be different, but we act as one, and we need to celebrate our differences. In fact, look at verses 4 through 6. He just continues to highlight this theme. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body. One body in Christ, individually members of one family. It is so important that you and I do our part to promote church unity. It is so important that if we are going to be the body of Christ, if you're a part of this local body of Christ called Hilton Head Island Community Church, that you promote unity, that I promote unity. And, and that means keeping our opinions under control of the Holy Spirit, stomping out gossip, realizing that we are different, but also realizing that you and I are stronger together. How many of you watched Olympics all day yesterday? How many of you? Come on, admit it, okay? I'm, I'm the only one who watched the Olympics, okay? It wasn't the only thing I was doing, okay? Now I feel really, like, lazy. Uh, it was on in the background, okay? How many of you had TV on in the background watching the Olympics? Thank you, all right, okay. So there, 
How many of you didn't know that the Olympics were taking place right now? Okay, all right, all right. I'm sorry, man. And we'll talk later. Anyway, um, yesterday we were. I was listening in the background, and I heard this story um, about the um, you know the U.S.'s you know multiple multiple all time I think uh, medal winner um, Michael Phelps, and he um, he is now the team captain of the swimming team. <laughs> who, by the way, got outshined last night. But anyway, hopefully they'll do better in the future. But I love what he did because he's brought that team together. And I sensed that there was some disunity. And they talked about the fact that he went in and he said, we are gonna, we're going to be together. And he, and, he, and he made this statement when he was interviewed by NBC. They said, why is it so important that you guys are together? And he, he says this. He made this statement. He said, when we are together, we're stronger. When we are together, we're stronger. And so as a result, the team is doing everything together. A sport that, yes, it has a team concept, but it also has an individual concept to it. Um, they're doing everything together. In fact, they are reserving tables in the cafeteria where they all eat together, and they're like not letting anybody else sit there because they are like making sure that they are acting as one unit, stronger together, stronger together. It's the same thing with the body of Christ. When we're together, when we have one mind, when we're unified, we are so much stronger. We are so much more able and ready to do the ministry of the gospel when you and I are doing it together. And so you and I can be stronger together. Um, this theme of unity is continued throughout this passage. Check, check out uh, verses 9 through 13. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Isn't that great? Outdo each other. If you're going to compete, compete in being honorable, being upright and righteous. Do not, be, do not be slothful. Man, that was a word my dad used once in my life when I was a teenager. I did not like it at all. Oh, I remember that day. Anyway, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. We're going to come back to that theme again later in this series. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. It was what Cynthia was talking about earlier. Um, be patient in tribulation. And then he says, be constant in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality and we see more of this in verse 16 he says this live in harmony with one another and in verse 18 if possible so it depends on you say that those last phrase with me live peaceably with all oh man if we're going to be one body acting together as a unit if we're going to be the family of god the body of christ each one of us has a responsibility to, when at all possible, to live at peace. Even though we may disagree, even though we may have different opinion, even though we may not like the other person, we have a responsibility to at least live at peace. The importance of church unity is so widespread. In fact, Paul mentions it um, throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'm going to go through these quickly. He says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, what's that next word? Agree. And that there be no what? Division among you. But that you all be what? United in the same mind and same, what is that word again? 
judgment. He uses that same word, thought or opinion. That's what that word literally means in the original language. And to the church in Ephesus, he says that unity is essential for ministry to happen. He says after he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That the church in Colossae, Paul says this in, in Colossians 3, 13 and 14, bearing, you and I should bear with one another. Um, if, if anyone has a complaint in, against a, another, forgive each other. Forgiveness needs to mark who we are when we have different, different uh, opinions and different agreements. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And Peter challenged us with this in 1 Peter 3.8, all throughout the New Testament. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a tender heart, and a humble mind. John even records the, the words of Jesus when he said in John 17.23, I and them and, and you and me, that we may be perfectly, become perfectly one, so that... The world may know that you sent that you sent me and loved them even as I have loved uh, as you have loved me. And if we go all the way back to the Old Testament in Psalm 133, we see that the believers in God, the people of God, are called by the psalmist. He says, "Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity." And so I want you to hear that unity is of the highest importance in the body. Of Christ and why is that important I want you to hear this it's important because unity in the body of Christ makes Jesus attractive unity in the body of Christ makes Jesus attractive in John 13 34 and 35 we read this a new commandment I give to you that you love what are those next two words one another that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, one another. And then in verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me tell you something, church. Listen, if you haven't heard anything I say this morning, I want you to hear this. The world will be most attracted to Jesus when we are most unified as a family. And the world will be most disgusted with Jesus when we are most divided among ourselves. We see it all the time, don't we? The world looks at us, and they see arguments. They see what we're against. They see that we're um, embittered against each other. But when the world sees the body of Christ working together in all of its different parts, as one, they're going to be attracted to Jesus. That's why it's so important that you and I come together in unity. The first church did this. In fact, they modeled it. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, check some of these words out. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wondrous signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together had all things in common. That doesn't necessarily mean they shared everything, but there was sharing going on. We'll see that in a moment. But that means that they were, had a common thought. They had a common mission. They had a common purpose. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them to all who had need. And day by day, they attended temple together. And they broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what? One of the best things that we can do to be a body of Christ is to be unified. But the next best thing that we can do is to enjoy each other. It's just to enjoy each other. It's to enjoy other people who are in the same body of Christ with you. And look, I know that you know me, and that can be incredibly hard sometimes. <laughs> and that you have a hard time maybe enjoying even the people that you live with. Never mind other people who are in the same church. But if God says it's important, then it is important. If God says that we should do it, then we should do it. And we need to celebrate our differences and put aside petty arguments and strong opinion. We need to live together in unity, enjoying each other. And the last thing that we can do to come around and be one body with many members is to come around a specific mission. And the mission that you and I are to come around is the mission that God gave the church in Matthew chapter 28. Check this out. He said this. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. And as a church, we've just restated that in our own mission as a church. And that is, is that we exist to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. See, when we are relentless about protecting the unity of the church, when we as people enjoy each other, and when we come around a common purpose, God can do amazing, incredible things in our midst. And I want you to hear from your pastor that I'm more passionate as we head into this new season, the fall of 2016, about us ministering to the needs of our community than I ever have been. This past week, we began um, to kind of uh, tackle our big goal of, of having a connection with every single teacher on this island. And we had a team of people packing bags, these little gift bags that we're going to give to the teachers in three of, our, uh, three of our schools here on Hilton Head Island to say thank you. Because our teachers make a huge difference in our community, don't they? Huge difference. We had people in this room packing those bags because we're going to make a touch with some of the most influential people because that's our mission. That's our mission, to begin to share passionately the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus did it through meeting needs. We're going to do the same thing and leading others to follow him. If you and I promote unity, if you and I enjoy each other, and if you and I rally behind one mission, behind the mission of the church, then there's no stopping what God can do among us. Francis Schaeffer writes a story about a, a friend of his who talked about post-World War II church in Germany. 
See, during World War II, Hitler took all the religious communities and he, he contained them in, into one big group. And if they were one big group that he could control and watch over and contain, then he could control them and their message was suppressed. And there were those who followed him and there were those who said, no, we're not going to be a part of it. Well, after World War II, there was severe division among those who decided to follow Hitler and those who decided to not follow Hitler because those who didn't follow Hitler had a very difficult time and they faced tremendous persecution just like those first Christians in the early church. And there were a group of them that said, we've got to do something to rally us together. And so they got away. They had a retreat. They got together. And Francis Schaeffer asked his friend, what was the difference? And he said, in a moment, we decided we were one. In a moment, we decided we were one. You and I have moments all the time. And we haven't faced persecution like that church during World War II faced at all. But we have moments in time in the midst of the life of this church and the people that you're sitting right next to, in terms of what we're doing as a mission, where we have the opportunity to make the decision to be one. And that's the beginning of being the body of Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much for what you're doing. You're doing amazing things. And to you be the glory for all that you're doing. And God, I think that as a church, Hilton Head Island Community's church's best days are ahead. God, we are here, we are your people, we fall in submission to who you are and what you want us to do. And we listen to you before we listen to our own opinion. We listen to you before we listen to the crowd. We listen to you before we listen to the gossip. And God, I pray that you would raise up a group of people who are serious about being the family of God. We are family. We are family. And we need to act like it. God, help us to be people who are relentless about being unified, that we would stomp out gossip, God, that we would understand that you created us to enjoy each other and that we would enjoy the fellowship of each other. And God, finally, I pray that you would allow us to rally behind your mission, behind the great commission, the great mission that you gave the church and that you gave us to passionately share your good news and to lead people to follow you. God, help us to be one body, unified and rally behind that. God, there's amazing things that you will do in and through us if we would do our part. And God, throughout the next few weeks, I pray that you would convict us. God, for those who may be in this room who have contributed to disunity, division, God, I pray that you would convict us of that. God, that you would encourage those who are relentless about unity and mission. And God, I pray that you would do amazing things among us and that we would see um, great days of ministry ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.